heard some of you had very eventful uh, family gatherings. Uh, I never like to miss an opportunity to embarrass someone. It's one of my favorite things in the whole world to do. Uh, but if you're looking for someone to join your kickball team, don't ask Josie. Uh, she's a little gimpy right now. She dropped a crock pot on her foot and uh, spent Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, Christmas Eve in the emergency room. So, and Christmas Day with a motto. Uh, so, wow, busy. Okay. Oh, she. Uh huh. Sure. That's the story. She dropped it on her foot. So. Anyway, that's going to be a great story years from now. Do you remember that Christmas when mom dropped the crock pot on her foot? That was such a special time. Okay, okay. Yeah, I heard she just trooped right on through the whole day and everything. Wow, okay. Very painful. You know, we left here Christmas Day. Uh, Habib took us to the airport. It was like a ghost town over there. Recommend If you're going to fly during Christmas, leave on Christmas Day. There was like nobody... Over there, it was awesome. You know the line that usually winds out under the tunnel and out under the 105? <laughs> Nothing. So it was great. So we're flying, you know, we're in midair, and we're on our way. It was a direct flight from LAX to Indianapolis. And, uh, of course, uh, as invariably happens, uh, Lisa gets a seat by the window over on the other side, and I'm in the middle seat between two strangers. So, um, but that's like, oh, no, on the flight there, you were next to me at the window. Sometimes it's you're like a stranger, but that's another story. But anyway, so this lady uh, is sitting next to me. I'd say she's maybe 35, and uh, I think her husband was sitting in the back, and they had four kids, I think. The oldest looked like maybe seventh grade. But um, So two hours into the flight, um, she flips open her laptop, and I see a little sticker on her screen. It said Isaiah 43-something. Uh, and so I said, oh, I like that you have a scripture passage there. And she said, oh, thanks. So just started talking. She's a born again believer. Her husband is a pastor here in the L.A. area. And I said, well, do you work outside the home? She goes, yeah, uh, I work at this um, Christian based medical clinic uh, near Hollenbeck Park in Boyle Heights. I was like, wow, what a coincidence. I just love fate and chance and coincidence. No, I'm being sarcastic. If you're visiting, I'm being sarcastic. Uh, but God's providence. Wow. Isn't that interesting? So uh, told her that perhaps we'd pop in. She said the clinic is very near the park and it's a Christian based ministry clinic, uh, health clinic. So interesting, interesting, interesting. Another piece of the puzzle comes together. So. Uh, anyway, eventful trip. We're glad to be home. Uh, December the 26th, I think it was 60 degrees in Indiana. Then after that, the other 11 days, it averaged about 20 degrees. So uh, the cracks in my face are not my age. Uh, that doesn't happen till tomorrow. Uh, the uh, cracks are from the cold. So, But we had a nice visit. Thanks for letting us go. Hey, I wanted to also say thank you. He's not here, so I'll embarrass him. Uh, thank you for embracing Robert Kimsey and letting him preach. Um, he just finished his first uh, semester in seminary. He's training for the ministry. Uh, he's only ever preached two times. Both times were right here. Uh, so uh, he's growing. He's learning. Uh, I know he does a good job, but he's only going to keep getting better and better. But, you know, that's really one of the wonderful things we do as a local church, right? 
we invest in training uh, the folks that we have and giving people opportunities to serve. So uh, I just wanted to say thank you for that as well. So First Thessalonians chapter five, you know, I kind of cut Joey off. I know they had another song, but I knew this was going to be a little longer today, Joey. Uh, we're going to introduce our theme uh, for 2017. Uh, we're going to focus. That's not a typo, is it? No, that's not a typo. Uh, we're going to focus every year. We like to have a theme here. <laughs> I wrote it. I should know, huh? I don't know. I will be 50. Maybe I misspelled it. I don't know. Uh, we're going to focus on Thanksgiving and being thankful uh, in 2017. But Lisa was reading her daily bread. She does that every day as part of her devotional time with the Lord. And uh, there was a little devotional in one of the days right around Christmas time, uh, January 1st, about uh, not just Thanksgiving, but thanks living, uh, living our lives as followers of Christ with a very thankful spirit about us and, and how the scriptures talk about uh, being thankful is not just a privilege. It's also a duty uh, that we're called by God to be thankful people. Uh, and I don't have my clicker. Do you want to be my helpmate? Do you know where it is? It's in the top drawer of my coffee empire. In there, in that gray thing in there, sorry. Uh, but something to remember with being thankful. Uh, being thankful is often coupled in the Bible with praise. They're closely related, but they're two different things. Uh, this isn't on your outlines. This is bonus material. Happy New Year. No extra cost. Um, so when we praise God, what we do is we extol God for who he is. That's praise extolling or exalting God or Christ for who he is, his attributes. You know, God is holy. He's loving. He's kind. He's forgiving. You know, all those things that describe his character, that's praise. When we thank God, what we're doing is we're extolling God for what he has done. Uh, We're exalting God, exalting Christ for what he does for us. Uh, and we can be broad and general, such as we thank God that he has forgiven us. Uh, we thank Christ that he died for our sins. But also, the Bible says we should be very specific when we're being thankful. Uh, very specific to you personally and your own life. Uh, things that perhaps uh, many times only you can really appreciate that God has done for you. For instance, uh, when we were going to the airport, we took our car uh, and the air pressure light was on uh, and we were gone for 12 days. I didn't know if it was just the cold. You know, sometimes cold can make that light come on or if I ran over a nail or something. And so we got back to the church 12 days later and all the tires looked fine. And I just said, oh, thank you, Lord, that we don't have a flat tire. Uh, well, because you didn't want to come home from a 12 day trip and your uh, a five hour flight took 12 hours, you know, from the time you leave the house till you get home. And uh, you don't want to come back uh, in not only a flat tire, but, you know, just per se, perhaps somebody decorated your office and with, uh, you know, with the, the theme of black, you know, and you had that to take care of, you know, as well as a flat tire. Um, so, you know. Unless the guilty parties come forward, I'm just going to blame Ron Morrow because he's the only one that has a key to my office besides myself. So uh, Ron Morrow must <laughs> Ron Morrow must die or the guilt or the guilty must come forward. So um, there's a lot of black in that office uh, when I got back. But anyway, I said, 
And I saw that after I thanked the Lord for not having a flat tire. So my Thanksgiving was used up. I only do one a day. So, uh, but I'm thankful. I was thankful that the tire wasn't flat, right? So some, he wants us to be very specific about how we thank him for what he does. Praise, we extol him for who he is. Thanksgiving, or being thankful, we extol him for what he has done. So if you read the back of the bulletin last week, uh, we're challenging you or encouraging you to join us in doing a few things this year. We want to try to memorize our theme passage. Thank you to Janine and Josie uh, and Joey was the muscle uh, for putting some of this stuff together. Uh, there's our memory verse. Can everybody see that? It's pretty cool, huh? First Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, 18. Maybe you could say it with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks to God or give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I like that passage because especially because it says this is God's will. We don't often see it just written out in black and white, do we? This is God's will. Uh, many times we struggle. Of, what is God's will? What is God's will? But there are a few times in the Bible where it says this is God's will. It's God's will for us to be thankful. And we'll see in a moment. It's God's will is referring to the praying, the rejoicing and the thankfulness. It's God's will that we be all three, that we be a thankful people, that we be a joyful people and that we be a praying people. Those those are three things that we know 100 percent that God wants us to do and what God wants us to be. So we also uh, in that daily bread devotional on thanks living, uh, the author was talking about how was it her or him? Was it her that wrote about the thanks living jar uh, wrote that in her home they would keep a jar and they would write down things that they were thankful for and put it in the jar and then at different times, and especially at the end of the year, they would pull out some and review all the things that God had done for them for the year. So I would encourage you in your home to find some way to keep track of the things that you are thankful to God for in the new year. This is going to be our Norwalk Thanks Living Jar. Yes, that is my own personal private cookie jar. Don't laugh. It is. It is big, isn't it? Uh, that's why that's why I like it. That is my personal cookie jar. I have to go without that for a whole year. So I don't know. So I did clean it out. It does still smell like snickerdoodles a little bit. So when you're putting your Thanksgiving slips of paper in there, maybe take a whiff. So, um, But I'm going to give you an opportunity today before you go home. We're going to hand out a little slip of paper for each of you. You're going to write today's date. You're going to write one thing that you're thankful to God for. You can, if you want, put your name on it. You don't have to. But we're going to do that every Sunday. Then at the end of the year, we're going to look at some of the things. Or maybe there's times during the year when we need to be reminded to be thankful. So, uh, so we're going to do it here at church. I encourage you to find a way at home to, to keep track of what you're thankful to God for. At least one thing every day. And then we're going to memorize our passage together. OK. All right. So let's look at this passage that includes Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm going to start uh, preaching through uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians next week. We'll pick up at chapter one, verse one. But wanted to start in chapter five 
uh, because he mentions being thankful uh, for all things. So let's set the the context here a little bit. Uh, I think this works better usually when it's on. So we'll turn it on. Let's see. There we go. Notice that Paul opens up First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twelve. He says, "We request of you, brethren." A really important word to the Apostle Paul. Very important word of uh, the word brethren or brothers. Uh, he uses it over 80 times in his letters, uh, in all of his letters. And he uses it almost 30 times. I think 27 times he uses the title of brethren in First and Second Thessalonians uh, to point out the nature of the local church being like a family. The Apostle Paul thought of the church as being like a family. So he calls those believers in Jesus brethren or brothers. And I think it's good for us to remember that it can be a tragic thing when the church is ignored or neglected by those who are actually a part of it. Uh, So we have this idea in our minds of a family and what a family does. Uh, And the church protects and it provides just like a family would do. And every child of God needs the church family if he wants to grow and develop his spiritual gifts and serve God. It's an essential. Paul gives two essentials in this passage of being in the family of God or a local church. Uh, And the first essential we see in verse 12 We might call it family leadership uh, or leaders in the local church. He's talking specifically about elders and pastors. And we have how many elders in our church? Yeah, we have four. Good. We have myself. We have five. See, I always forget about. Oh, I won't say who I forget about. No, I'm just teasing. We have five. Yeah, I'm, some of you said four, but you probably weren't thinking. I am, I play the role of an elder as well. Uh, but we have myself. We have Tim Lansing. He's our red-haired elder. Uh, and we have Ron Muir. And we have Dave Goodwin. He and I go to the same barber. Uh, and we have Joey Ramirez. He's one of our elders. And I can't say publicly what I would say if we were private. So because you would think it was funny, everyone else would be offended. Okay, so let's keep that between us. So there's these four men and myself. So that's who these opening verses are referring to. Uh, Every family needs leadership. The home needs leadership. God says that the husband is the leader in the home. God says that the elders Elder pastor teaching elders are the leaders in the church. And so he's encouraging and reminding. By the way, Paul loved this church. He had a deep love for these people in Thessalonica, as we'll see as we go through his letter in the coming months. So he's just encouraging the flock there to deeply appreciate and obey and follow the leadership of the elders and what is their specific responsibility well first of all he says appreciate Uh, and you may have a little number one next to the word appreciate uh, in your bibles and you follow it to verse 12 in the middle of your bible and it says literally to know he's talking about here when he says appreciate your elders or your pastors he's saying know them well enough 
that you can intimately appreciate everything that they do for you. In other words, just as the sheep have a relationship with the shepherd, the people in a church should have a very close knit, intimate relationship with their pastor and with their elders. There should be very deep knowledge of one another, uh, our personalities, our styles, our lives, just talking about sharing life together that, you know, me and, you know, the other four men well enough that you really appreciate them uh, and all that they do. It's talking about something much deeper than just a surface type knowledge. He mentions this, I think, because. He understands that spiritual leadership is a great responsibility and a difficult task. It's not easy to be a pastor or an elder or a deacon or another spiritual leader. Uh, Sometimes it's very difficult uh, and there are many battles and burdens and sometimes the encouragements aren't always there. Uh, And it can become dangerous, Paul's warning them, for a church family to take their leaders for granted uh, by not praying for them and working with them. And encouraging them. And he uses the term brethren or brothers because your elders or your leaders are in an interesting position because uh, your elders are among you, but they are also over you. He says, appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you. Isn't that interesting? We as your leaders are among you as well as over you. And sometimes that can be a very interesting, maybe even tricky dynamic uh, to get used to. Some church members want their pastor, this is what one man wrote, want their pastor to be their buddy, but that weakens his authority. And on the other hand, if a pastor emphasizes only his authority, he's in danger of becoming a selfish dictator. So there's that dynamic of being among but in charge of. The flock at the same time. Then he says, diligent labor among you have charge over you and give you instruction. You see the three uh, things uh, that the elder pastor is charged to do, don't we there? Uh, we uh, MacArthur has an excellent footnote. If you happen to have a, a MacArthur study Bible, uh, he says that the pastor or the elders or the leaders, they Labor among you to the point of exhaustion. Uh, They oversee or stand before the flock to lead them uh, spiritually and instruct them in the truth of God's word. So I don't know if I that's not it. I thought maybe I had that up there, but I didn't. So the elders and the pastors are responsible for your spiritual welfare. And do you agree that that may not always be the easiest job in the world? Yes. And what makes it even harder sometimes for us as leaders is because we have charge over your souls. We're responsible to guide you spiritually. And we ourselves struggle with the same things that you struggle with. So we are among you, but we've been commanded to have charge over you. So Paul, I think he's saying, and I would agree with him, is saying really the most important job on earth is perhaps the elder pastor. Because it has such eternal consequences uh, for people. So we love them. We obey them. We appreciate them. And look at the result of knowing, appreciating and submitting to godly leadership. 
he says uh, that the result in verse 13 says, esteem them very highly in love because of their work, live in peace with one another. The only way to have peace and harmony and joy and unity in the local church is if the flock is willing to follow the shepherd. Now, that doesn't mean that your pastor is always right. Can I get an amen? Oh, come on. I know inside your head you're screaming it. That doesn't mean that we're always right. It doesn't mean that we always know what's best. It doesn't mean that we're not fallible. We're sinners. Uh, But he's saying that it is God's design. It it is God's plan for the church uh, for some to be singled out for leadership and to have charge over your souls to lead and guide you. Now, let's move on to verses 14 and 15. Uh, Now we see this is the second essential. The first essential in every church is leadership. The second essential I would call partnership or whatever word you want to call it. The first essential was about the interaction between the people and the pastors. The second essential is about interaction between the people and the people in the church. So there's a relationship between leaders and people in the church. And now it's the relationship of all of us to one another. We might call it body life. Now, Paul points out something very important. We don't need to turn there, but you might jot down somewhere. Ephesians chapter four, verse 12, a very important passage there in Ephesians four about the local church. Uh, And it talks about how the spiritual leaders in the church What we're supposed to be doing is equipping everyone else in the church to help with the ministry. Everyone in the local church is supposed to be working together to do the ministry. But in a lot of churches, members think, well, that's what we pay the pastors for. They're the ones supposed to be doing all of the work. But when we do that, we find that churches become weak and ministry starts to die. And one of my least favorite things, everyone blames the preacher. Uh, It's just like every woe in the country gets blamed on the president. But the New Testament pattern is that the leaders in the church, one of our primary responsibilities is to equip and show everyone else how to join in and do the ministry together. And though we're not perfect at it and though we work through different things and we do our best, uh, sometimes we make mistakes. But I can tell you, we four men realize that's what we're supposed to be doing and that's what we're trying to do. Uh, equipping and helping everyone. So now Paul in these couple verses in 14 and uh, I think it's just 14. He's going to mention some particular church family members that may need some personal help. So he mentions a few different groups, doesn't he? Uh, he says to admonish the unruly. That word means the undisciplined. Uh, it's a military term that means careless or out of line. It was always it was applied to a soldier who would not keep his rank, but insisted on marching in his own way. And notice that he says in verse 14, does he say we urge you pastors in verse 14? Does he say we urge you elders or we urge you deacons? What does he say? We urge you. So that would mean how many of us are included in brethren? So what he's starting to tell us to do, he's telling all of us to start doing this together with the elders taking the lead in doing this. So we shouldn't read this and say, oh, pastor, I know someone undisciplined and unruly. You need to go admonish him. 
And I'll say, ooh, sister, no. Scriptures say you do it. Finders, keepers. Uh, Right? While the loving atmosphere of the family encourages individual development, there are some things that we have to do in the same way. We have to have rules and standards in a family, don't we? Or we have chaos. Same in the home, same in the church. We like to see individual personalities. We don't want all of our children to be exactly the same. We appreciate the individuality, but we do have sets of house rules. I hope you have sets of house rules, right? Okay, we all do. It makes things run more effectively. It's the same in the church. And it's sorrowful to see a child rebel against the rules and have to be disciplined. But sometimes we have to admonish one another. That's a hard thing, isn't it? In fact... I would be surprised if I asked, and don't do this, this is hypothetical. If I asked, raise your hand if you can even remember the last time you admonished another brother or sister in the Lord. I mean, it's not something that we do often, do we? Uh, And he's talking about those that are born again believers in the local church who just are very rebellious uh, and very divisive and very troublesome. Uh, and are just a problem wherever they go. Then he says there's a second group, says the faint hearted. What are we supposed to do for the faint hearted? We're supposed to uh, encourage the faint hearted. What I like about this verse is he's telling us there's three different groups of people that he's talking about with three different approaches in how to help them. In other words, when it comes to living, one size does not fit all. We really have to think about the problem that's on the table. We have to think about the person that we're trying to help. And we can't just uh, try to solve every problem with every person the exact same way uh, because we're very different. Some of us are are very tough and strong and can take uh, harsh criticism, even though it should not be harsh criticism. Some of us don't have a problem with that, while others uh, uh, don't respond that way, do they? Others respond much better with a much more gentle approach. And that's what he's saying here to the faint hearted. It's uh, literally translated in the original language, little sold, little sold, uh, S-O-U-L-E-D, uh, someone who is little sold or faint hearted. Uh, and unfortunately, this isn't really a great thing because Paul is saying that these are what we would call the quitters in the church family. The quitters, they always look on the dark side of things and they always give up when the going gets tough. Uh, And every church family has its share. And he says these people need to be encouraged. And if you have the King James, it probably says comfort these people. And it's interesting that to encourage is made up of two different words. The word near and the word speech to encourage means to give near speech. Isn't that interesting? You come near to someone. You come close to them and you speak to them uh, softly, tenderly, in an understanding way. You're not scolding them. You admonish the unruly, but you tenderly try to encourage the faint hearted. Uh, So we have to teach the little soul that there's going to be trials in life. And we have to help them uh, to enlarge their view of what God can do so that they might be stronger in facing the things that they are. And then lastly, we have the weak. And what are we told to do for the weak? To help the weak. Literally, 
hold fast to the weak is what he's saying. That's the literal translation. Hold fast to the weak. Don't let them fall. Don't let them fall. Sometimes uh, we find that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who have that just that personality or maybe they're just going through a season when their faith is weaker than it normally is. And Paul says, when that's the case with the weak, we should come alongside them and prop them up. We're kind of like a spiritual crutch that gets up under them and holds them up. Uh, it's a picture of even in the Old Testament when when uh, Moses' helpers had to hold him up uh, because he was getting weak. So sometimes we go through those seasons. So we have strong, we have weak in our churches today, just as our families and our homes uh, we have children who mature faster than others, don't we? We have strong, we have weak, uh, and we should be patient. And I like what uh, Paul says there. I need this reminder every single day, and my wife will vouch for it. When he says, you know, uh, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. And then I just like to skip right to verse 15. Did I leave something out? What am I supposed to do? Oh, Wah, wah, wah. Be patient. Be patient. I know. I was doing good until we got to the patient. I can admonish the unruly. I don't have a problem with that. In fact, sometimes I'm the unruly. Uh, I can uh, encourage the faint-hearted. I enjoy doing that. I can help the weak. But do, but do it patiently with everyone. Hmm. Different groups, different types of people, different approaches, but all... Are handled with patience. That's that's tough, right? <laughs> that's really tough. I would say you're getting a lot of opportunities to say amen this morning. So, but I appreciate you keeping it to yourself. Uh, I would say that is one of the monumental struggles of my own life: being patient, uh, especially patient with people. But if you notice a lot of these descriptions in this passage. It's another way of mentioning the fruits of the spirit, right? Uh, So the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Yes. And first Corinthians 13 says flat out what love is patient. So we instruct all these types of people, but we do it patiently. We wait. We tolerate. We bear up under. We're long suffering. Uh, We don't become bitter. We don't become angry. We don't become discouraged. We don't grumble about them. We don't gossip about them. We don't uh, become discontent. We do it patiently. We understand that spiritual growth is a process. It's not an event. Uh, And so we keep that in mind as we counsel and we help. Now, verse 15. This is another whammy. Remember that show, Press Your Luck? They'd go, no whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Well, we got a lot of whammies in this passage. Verse 15 is another big one. See that no one repays another person with evil for evil, but always seek what's good for one another, what's good for all people. And we think, why would he put that in there? It seems a little out of place. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, watch your motives. Watch your motives. When you're in ministry, remember, He's talking to who in verse 14? We urge you, brethren, he's talking to all of us. He's talking to you. He's talking to me as you help people in the church, as you're involved in ministry, as you're involved in each other's lives, as you're working for the Lord together side by side. Watch your motives, he says. Watch your motives. 
Because often as we minister to other people, they may reject us. They may even oppose us. And often they won't show any appreciation. But we should always serve in love and we should always be ready to forgive. We watch our motives because if we're in ministry, if we want to serve the Lord because of the appreciation and the praise that we receive, we're going to be very disappointed. Very disappointed. What joy does the scripture say is my strength? The joy of the Lord is my strength. So when we're working side by side for the Lord in the ministries of the local church, all of us together with all different types of people, with all different types of personalities and weeks and strength, uh, strengths and weaknesses, we do it primarily to serve the Lord and to please the Lord. Which means we could serve the Lord without ever get receiving any earthly appreciation or recognition. And we could still be full of joy and contentment because we know we're pleasing the Lord. It's perfectly fine. I think it's a good thing to celebrate. I think it's a great thing to recognize. I think it's a very needful thing to appreciate. But if it's missing, we don't have to become dejected and discouraged because we serve the Lord first. And he never misses a thing. So now let's move on here. Paul then in verses 16 through 22, and we're not going to go in depth on all these because we'll do that. Uh, if I start preaching First Thessalonians 1 next week, we should get back to chapter 5, hopefully by Christmas next year. That would be great. You know how it goes around here. Five chapters uh, can feel like an eternity. Uh, but he gives eight uh, what we would call spiritual commands. And on your outlines, uh, you'll see that it says sharp staccato commands. In other words, uh, he just goes through a list and notice that it's no exceptions. These are not optional. These are the spiritual commands. These are the spiritual qualities we should be developing in our lives as we gather in a local church. No exceptions. There's no wiggle room here, folks. Even when I was studying this, it was a bit uneasy because the language is so clear. It's just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. No exceptions. No exceptions. But wait, I no exceptions. But what if he no exceptions? Well, I'm a little bit. No. That's how it's set up here. You're boxed in, people. You have to be full of joy. You have to be people of prayer. You have to be thankful. If you're not, you're being naughty. Being sinful, actually. It's worse than naughty. But it is a very straightforward, no wiggle room list. First of all, he says what? Rejoice always. If you're a follower of Jesus... You are always rejoicing in every circumstance, good or bad. Joy is a choice, Paul is saying. Because joy is not really about a fun, fuzzy, warm emotion. I mean, that's what we feel when we have joy. But it's deeper than that. It's a deep, settled trust and recognition in what God is doing. 
because we know at different times in the scriptures, we're told to have joy in difficult circumstances, aren't we? James chapter one. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you face trials of different kinds. What? Someone off their meds? What? What is he talking about? Have joy in all these trials. And we find that Paul and Silas are thrown in jail. And what do they do? They're singing. They're celebrating. Not because they're happy. Oh, look, woo, we're in jail. How wonderful. No. I mean, but no. Because they're deeply anchored and rooted firmly in their conviction that they're right where God wants them to be. And so they have a deeply entrenched contentment that then expresses itself in an attitude of worship. That's joy, always in every situation. Then he says, pray without ceasing. And obviously he's not saying 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I should always be praying. That's not what he's saying. It carries the idea of being deliberate in our prayer. He's talking about prayer describing you as a person. You'd say, well, do you know that guy, Don Lansing? Yeah, I know Don. He's he's a great guy. Well, how would you describe him? Oh, we shouldn't even have to think. We should say, oh, Don, he's a man of prayer. He's a prayer. Oh, if you you know him, he's always praying about something. See, that's what he's saying here. Pray without ceasing. Being a person of prayer should be something that describes the type of person you are. It's deliberate, it's persistent, it's regular. It's ingrained in the fabric of your being. That's what he means by pray without ceasing. Now we get to be thankful, he says. Be thankful in the good things, he says, right? No... No, pastor, quit doing that. We know why you're doing that. Verse 18. In some things, give thanks, right? In everything, give thanks. In everything. In all circumstances. Paul's kind of saying this is true optimism. This is true optimism because we're always giving thanks, even in situations that people may think it's strange to give thanks. But it's showing a complete trust in God. It's our duty as well as a privilege. It's really, I like what one author said, giving thanks in all circumstances. And I have this on your outlines, number three on the back. Giving thanks in all circumstances is a test of spiritual ingenuity. I like that. You have to be pretty ingenious because sometimes life is hard. Sometimes there's sorrow. Sometimes there's heartache. Many times there's disappointment. Sometimes there's conflict. But he's saying... We must always be thankful. It doesn't matter. We can be thankful, he's saying. It's, once again, a permanent condition of who we are. And when he says, uh, in everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That phrase, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, points back to all three things. Rejoicing, praying, and being thankful. God wants us to be a people who are full of joy, a people who are constantly in prayer. He wants us to be a people who.
who are constantly thanking him. Philippians 4, 6 is a great example. And really, being thankful is one of the major themes of all of Paul's writings. You see it everywhere. Even when he talks about our prayer life, he includes being thankful, right? He says, the Lord is near. We don't like these next words, do we? Be anxious for what? Nothing. By the way, folks, that's a command, which means if I'm commanded not to be anxious, that means I'm able to do it with God's help. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Do you know the difference between prayer and supplication? Prayer, I'm talking to God. Supplication is I'm talking to God about the same thing again and again and again and again and again. And he never gets tired, folks. He never gets tired of me coming to him with the same thing. Go to him in prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. It's very important to God that we be a thankful people. It's very important to him. I put some questions on your outline for you to use uh, for your own personal reflection, maybe for your CPR group or what, whatever. So, but look at those questions. Rate yourself on a scale of one to ten in joy, in prayer, and in thanksgiving with ten being you're going to explode, you're so happy. Uh, so rate yourself in joy and prayer and thanksgiving. And then think about why did you rate yourself the way you did? And how can you grow in those areas that maybe you need some growth? And think about this. Why do you think that we are commanded to be thankful? Why do you think thankfulness is so important to God? I think it's because God is always good. That's one of his attributes. And his will is always perfect. So really, to be ungrateful and unthankful is a characteristic of a pagan unbeliever. And then lastly, think about this. How does being thankful impact your mentality? How does it impact your testimony? Wow, there's something right there. How does being thankful impact your testimony among unbelievers? Are you known as someone who is thankful who is optimistic, who is trusting in God? Or are you known more as a grumbler, a complainer, uh, a worrier, uh, you know, someone who's divisive? Uh, just being a thankful person is a tremendous testimony because we live in a world full of despair. I mean, we just came through a presidential campaign uh, that makes despair look like a step up. I mean, so to think that if you were a thankful person in the midst of all that, uh, what a testimony. So think about those things to finish this out without elaborating. We'll cover it in the months to come. Uh, the eight spiritual commands. He then says in verse 19, don't quench the spirit uh, to quench has the idea of pouring water like you're camping and you've built a fire. It's time to put the fire out. You pour the water. Don't quench the spirit. Do you realize that even you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can hinder the work of the spirit in your life. Not every Christian is a growing Christian because sometimes and how do we quench the Lord's work? We sin and we don't deal with it. And specifically, this is kind of uh, right where we live. We quench the spirit's work by not being joyful. We quench the spirit's work by not being a person of prayer. We quench the spirit's work uh, by not being thankful. We can quench the spirit's work in verse 20. By not taking seriously good, sound Bible teaching and following it and obeying it. Then he says what? Uh, number five, 
Don't despise sound teaching. Let me get here. Then number six, he says, examine everything carefully. He's talking about doctrine, about teaching. So that's number six. Number seven, after you examine biblical teaching, hold fast to what is good, what is right, what is sound about it. And then if it's not sound, abstain from it or avoid it as no good. So then to close this out for this morning, where are our ushers? We have any ushers in here? Uh, They're out there. If someone could grab those guys. I don't know if that speaker is working, but uh, somebody wants to step out there and grab those guys. We want to give you an opportunity to write down something that you're thankful for. You know, we might be tempted to say, how can we do this? We know ourselves. We're very weak. We're very susceptible to temptation. We're very susceptible to not being joyful or thankful or being people of prayer. Well, Paul answers. Yeah, if you guys want to come up, can you hand everyone a slip of paper? Oh, yeah, I've got it right here. Uh, Handle my cookie jar with care, please. In fact, just take the paper. Don't take the jar. No. I have children. Uh, Just, yeah, if you could give everyone a slip of paper. Write today's date. Your name is optional, but write one thing that you're thankful for. Remember, be specific if you want or be general. But one thing that you're thankful for. But Paul gives us the answer of what do we do because we know we're not able. He gives that in verse 23. Look at chapter 5, verse 23. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. We are not able to display these types of qualities in our lives without God being in our life. He's really talking about, if you look up at the screen, sanctification. He's saying without positional sanctification, progressive sanctification is impossible. And I have that on your notes for you, too. What is positional sanctification? That's talking about when I was saved from my sins and given eternal life by placing my trust in Christ. That's positional. My position before God. Progressive sanctification is how I grow in my knowledge and obedience to the Lord. And I do that day to day. You keep those out because I don't want to mix in. Just lay them there. Thanks. So, in other words, if I'm not truly born again, then there's not going to be any spiritual growth there at all. So we need God to do it. We need Christ in us to do it. So in the many months to come, we're going to focus on being people who are characterized as being thankful. And we'll throw in there a people of prayer and a people full of joy. So everybody have something written down now, Ron, I'll let you once you pass them to the center, pass them to the center of your aisle and I'll have Ron collect them. And once in a while, we're going to so next week, this jar will be up here and we'll have all of what you have in the jar and we're going to keep adding to it. And once in a while, we'll pull it out. This will be our thanks living jar. And someone has agreed to take that home and decorate it for us. So. 
Um, and maybe, just maybe if you're really good at the end of the year, maybe I'll bring a pack full of cookies for you. If you cooperate with your shepherd, maybe. Let's stand together. Let's have a word of prayer. I'm looking forward to 2017. I hope you are. Uh, I know that Lisa and I uh, are just full of joy and contentment that God has called us here uh, to pastor and shepherd you. Uh, And we do it not just I'm not just in charge over you, but I live among you. Uh, I understand your struggles and your fears and your difficulties because I have the same as do the rest of the elders. So looking forward to 2017. What is God going to do for us? We can always find something to thank him for, can't we? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful. We bow our heads. We come before you giving thanks to you for all that you have done for us. The chief of which you have saved us from our sins. When we really stop to think about that as Christians, that's something that we say a lot. But to think that we were objects of wrath. Your wrath is righteous, it's holy, it's just. And we were the objects of that until you stooped down and you rescued us. And Jesus Christ lowered himself to step into our world. Being mistreated. Being abused, laying down his life so that we could live forever in heaven. If we're having a horrible day and nothing's going right, we can be thankful for that. On top of that, Lord, you have blessed us to live in a nation with unprecedented freedom. To worship according to our conscience. We thank you for that. Father, we thank you for our homes. We thank you for our cars. We thank you for our clothing. We thank you for our food. We thank you for our loved ones. We thank you for our jobs. We thank you for our friends. Lord, I thank you for the rain that you have been sending. The Bible says you send rain on the wicked and the righteous. You take such good care of us, Father. And may we always be appreciative. May people look at us and say, wow, they're really thankful people over there at that church. So, Father, we leave here today full of joy, thanking and praising you. Uh, For every good thing in Jesus' name, amen.